0: Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, Sad, Confused begins now. I'm Josh Horowitz, and today on Happy, Sad, Confused, we're wrapping up the Telluride Film Festival with a conversation with the Bike Riders director, Jeff Nichols, talking all things Austin Butler, Jodie Comer, and more. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz, and welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Uh, Well, as you can see, if you're watching this on YouTube, I am in Colorado. I am outside enjoying um, this idyllic atmosphere uh, as the Telluride Film Festival comes to a close. Uh, apologies for some nature noises, some air conditioning noises, uh, but this is, you know, we're in the elements, we're in the wild, so I um, wanted to give you guys a, a flavor of what it's like to be at Telluride. Um, coming up later, in um, this this episode, the feature conversation, is with a director that I, I absolutely love. This is uh, Jeff Nichols, who has never been on the podcast, and he's done so many great things that I, I hugely respect. Um, Shotgun Stories, Take Shelter, which really introduced me to Michael Shannon and Jessica Chastain, um, Mud, Midnight Special, and now he's got this great new movie, uh, The Bike Riders, which premiered here and features a a all-star cast of my favorites, uh, Jodie Comer, Austin Butler, Michael Shannon, Boyd Holbrook, Tom Hardy, uh, the list goes on and on. So that's, uh, the feature conversation coming up a little bit later, but first I want to give you guys a little bit of a wrap up on Telluride because this is such a special festival. I talk about going to festivals all the time, and I've been privileged enough to go to things like Sundance and Cannes and Toronto over the years. Uh, and this is my second, um, Telluride, and hopefully the second of many, because uh, there's nothing like it. For those that don't know, Telluride um, is a smaller festival, way smaller than the other festivals, um, but the quality of films is uh, unparalleled. Um, I've seen 10 movies here, and I can say, honestly, they're all good. Some of them are great. They're all good, though. I recommend all of them in different capacities for different reasons. Uh, so I want to give you guys a little bit of a rundown of what I saw and give you a sneak peek of films that are going to be coming to a theater near you. Hopefully soon, sometimes a little bit later. But um, let me refer to my phone now <laughs> to see what I saw and I'll give you uh, the rundown. And, and like I said, you might have heard of some of these things, some of these things you may not have heard of. So in no particular order, um, I saw The Holdovers, which is the new film from Alexander Payne, um, one of our greats, um, you know, Sideways About Schmidt, Election. Um, This is a 1970s, early 70s set, prep school uh, kind of dramedy starring Paul Giamatti. Um, Really entertaining, very funny, very sweet. Uh, Echoes of Scent of a Woman in there, for good or for bad, Uh, but Giamatti kills it, um, and it's great to see Alexander, Alexander Payne back after downsizing, which was a bit of a dip. So that was uh, the first night I saw that one and the bike riders, which I'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, All of us Strangers, new film from Andrew Hay. uh, Really emotional, beautiful story. uh, Really sad, to be honest, bring tissues. Uh, This one stars Andrew Scott, Paul Mezcal, uh, Jamie Bell, who we love around here, and of course, Claire Foy, who you guys know I adore. Um, So that one is really, boy, without saying too much, it's kind of a weird kind of a ghost story in a way. Uh, Andrew uh, Andrew Hay really um, dives deep into into Andrew Scott's character and explores um, his lack of coming out to his parents way back when and and kind of how he's wrestled with that as an adult. Paul Mezcal is this kind of man that comes into his life. And Claire Foy and Jamie Bell are the parents. All excellent, really beautiful story, as I told, as I I said, and um, will Will touch you if you have a heart inside, and as you guys know, I barely do. But it worked on me. Saltburn, you've probably heard about from Emerald Fennell. Um, this is the Promising Young Woman follow-up, um, and it's fantastic. It is a big, audacious swing of a movie. Um, look, I'll tell you right. Person leaving. Look, that's atmosphere. Um, this one stars Barry Kiyogan, who we love around here, Jacob Alordi. Carrie Mulligan has a small cameo. Rosamund Pike steals all the scenes she's in. Um, and it's kind of, without revealing too much, um, it's basically about a young man who kind of infiltrates a high society um, uh, family. Um, Jacob Elordi's family, Rosamund Pike is the matriarch, and Barry Keoghan is kind of this mysterious young man. Uh, Very funny, very um, dark, twisted. Um, If you thought Promising Young Woman was dark and twisted, you ain't seen nothing yet. This was a divisive movie for some, but I really enjoyed it. The Zone of Interest. woo. Zone of Interest um, is a really, it's a tough sit, but it's a worthy sit. It is from Jonathan Glazer, who's only made a few films, Sexy Beast, Birth... um, what is the last one, under the skin, under the skin. And so it's been many years. This is a Holocaust movie in a sense, but it's unlike any you've ever seen. This is about a commandant who and his family who live right outside the, the camps and you never see the actual atrocities. You're kind of seeing the banality of evil. You're seeing this family kind of like go through the motions of their life. Very powerful, shot in a very unique, austere way. It will stick with you. Uh, fallen Leaves, uh, kind of a slice of light, sweet, um, Finnish movie that was that played very well at can uh that was my last film here um eighty minutes kind of a, a sweet kind of a, a love story between two people struggling to kind of find uh find connection in the world um a, a slider movie but but worth worth checking out if you're so interested the royal hotel I saw this is from Kitty Green who directed the assistant with Julia garner this reteams her with julia uh this is Really entertaining. Good movie. I mean, a a tense, tough movie, but 90 minutes set in the Australian Outback. Two young women who are working at a local bar with really a rough crowd. Um, And it will, you know, you will be gripped by this drama. Um, With moments of humor here and there, but um, really effective and I'm very impressed with what Kitty Green's been doing so far and uh, Jessica Hennock's in it as well. and She's fantastic. Tuesday a big swing of a movie Uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus in a dramatic role. A a movie about mortality and loss and grief with supernatural elements. Um, This one's from A24. Doesn't come out this year, so you have to wait on that one, but worth checking out. Um, And then we're, we're, we're finishing strong with anatomy of a fall which i was just mesmerized by this is two and a half plus hours but feels like it's a hundred minutes it is a police procedural it's a dissection of a marriage it is it won the palm d'or at can the big prize at can fantastic movie just so well told uh and kind of a genre movie like the, that kind of like um Th- not thriller, but um, courtroom drama that isn't isn't doesn't isn't done much anymore. And is just so well done, an amazing lead performance from Sandra Hewler, who's also in Zone of Interest and is ha- going to have quite a season. Um, and then before we get to the bike riders, Poor um, Things, which I loved. Maybe my favorite movie of the festival, Poor Things from Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, man, this wowed everybody at Venice. Then it came over here, Emma Stone. Um, What to say about this? It's kind of a Frankenstein story. It's based on a a, a novel. Um, I haven't read it, but um, visually audacious, um, as you would uh, almost what you would expect out of a Terry Gilliam movie. Um, Emma Stone, the arc of her character is remarkable. Um, It is uh provocative it is kind of sweet at times and inspiring and very funny um people are loving mark ruffalo i in particular love willem dafoe in this uh this could be a big oscar movie and it's it's a wild movie it's not gonna be for you know the stodgy academy crowd but it, it, it the talent on screen and behind the screen is undeniable in this and it's it's a special one so that finally brings us to the bike riders and, and to jeff nichols so um Jeff is a really smart, humble filmmaker, and this is his biggest movie yet, budgetarily and cast-wise. This movie doesn't open until December, so this conversation's a little bit unusual in that uh, obviously 99% of you guys haven't seen this movie yet. There's nothing, so we do dive into a lot of the characters, and most specifically the actors he worked with in this, in this film. I don't think it's spoilery really in any way. It's going to give you a taste of how he put this film together, why he put it together, how he came up with this cast. Um, in a nutshell, it's based actually on photography by a man named Danny Lyon of, biker, of a biker gang in, I believe, in the late 60s. This photography really inspired Jeff to create this fictional narrative inspired by real people about a subculture, a biker group. He calls them the vandals in this. Um, And he cast the hell out of this movie, guys. I mean, as I said, the lead performances, I would say, are Austin Butler and Jodie Comer. Austin in kind of pure movie star, magnetic, mysterious mode, opening shots of this film. If you're an Austin Butler fan, this is (laughs) the first five minutes, you will be satiated. You will be happy, trust me. If you are a Jodie Comer fan, as you guys know, like myself, I mean, so happy for her and us that we are living in a time of Jodie Comer and to see what, he do, what she does in this movie. Um, a true character, a true accent that will, will stick with you. Kathy is kind of the narrator of this story. She's telling her story to, I guess, the Danny Lyon surrogate played by Mike Feist, who you might have seen in West Side Story. Um, And then you have Tom Hardy as the leader of this gang and I think it's one of Tom's better roles in recent years I'm always mesmerized by him. You have Boyd Holbrook popping up. You have Norman Reedus popping up. Um, and it's it's it has a lot of echoes of Goodfellas. We talk about that in this conversation, um, and I think Jeff wears those influences on his sleeve. If you um, love and know Goodfellas and Scorsese's work, you're going to see that in this film. So it's it's definitely an evolution for Jeff. It feels like a Jeff Nichols movie, I would say, but it definitely um, feels. Um, new and different and exciting. So this conversation, I will say, so if you're watching this on YouTube, um, this was audio only. Telluride doesn't really do on-camera interviews. There are no red carpets. There's no giant glitzy parties. That's kind of the the beauty of it. So this was literally recorded in a yoga studio, (laughs) me and Jeff sitting around uh, with my audio equipment. Um, and it couldn't have been more casual. And um, you know, as you guys know, I'm, 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 I, I positively love Michael Shannon, who's a very close friend of Jeff's. He's been, he's been in all of his films. So it was, it was fun to kind of close the circle and catch up with Jeff and talk about Mike and this movie and preview it for all of you guys. So audio only, but I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, here is my chat with uh, the, the director of The Bike Riders. Put it on your schedule. December 1st, coming to theaters. Here's me and Jeff Nichols. So this is not the typical happy, sad, confused. Uh, I don't usually do happy, sad, confused in a yoga studio in Telluride, but I'm making an exception no, for the we're not filmmaker. doing yoga. No, no, we are, Jeff. <laughs> right now. <laughs> for those imaginations <laughs> running wild. That's why. Yes, exactly. Downward dog, uh, Jeff. <laughs> um, Jeff Nichols is joining me. I'm such a fan of yours. Uh, we've never done, like, the long-form conversation, and this won't be exactly the full thing, but I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled we're getting a chance to... To speak in this context, I'm flattered. Thanks. Um, so to, yes, to set the scene, uh, we're in Telluride. This is Jeff's first Telluride. I'm kind of shocked by that. But um, you, I mean, you're a veteran of the film festivals. I remember uh, talking to your cast. Maybe you actually for um, take shelter at Sundance way back when. Yes. Have, have film festivals been very important to your career?
1: Yeah, they were kind of the point of entry to the marketplace, which sounds very calculating, <laughs> but. It was true to a degree, you know, with Shotgun Stories, which didn't get into Sundance. That was my first film. um, We premiered at Berlin uh, in the forum section, which was fantastic and really kind of an awakening for me as an adult and as a filmmaker and storyteller. But, you know, I always knew, you know, for better and worse, the first people to judge my films and maybe be the ones to decide how they enter the world we're going to be festival programmers right. and so that wasn't lost on me on my first two films by the time i was making mud i was making films for other you know like the, the, that consideration had, had left
0: i was, should say was the first time you went to film festivals the, like as a filmmaker or had you been to festivals prior to that because that's that's an odd circumstance for many young filmmakers to suddenly be thrust into that kind of I had really only been to one place, but it was a big one.
1: Um, my junior year of college at North Carolina School of the Arts, I got an internship with Kodak in the American Pavilion and was able to go over to the Cannes Film Festival. Um, I waited tables at the American Pavilion and it, it, it was really important. There've been a few moments in my life where um, the idea of, of becoming a filmmaker started to come Down to earth a little bit. Yeah, getting into film school was one. Getting into the directing program of that film school was another, Uh, and going to Cannes was one. Because, uh, you know, one you get to put on a tuxedo and go see a film in the Palais, and you're like, this is this is honoring cinema in this really beautiful, elegant way. And uh, but then also you just got to see people, and it demystified it for me. a little bit. It, it was interesting how it elevated cinema yep. and it demystified, right? Humanized the, like, yeah, these it. These are the human. They are the actual people.
0: human beings that make this stuff. hundred yep. percent.
1: Yep. And and those are those. I needed those for, for better or worse. Growing up in Arkansas, we didn't have any connections to the to the film industry really. Um, you know, a movie called Sling Blade got made there, yep. and and that was important. But uh, but but I wasn't involved in it in any way. Um, and so, you know, these kind of milestones were important. And and really though, I mean just like the most expensive film set I had ever been on was was mud. You know right. the day that I showed up and my ad Cass Donovan came up to me with my per diem uh, and and I remember saying asking, do you need receipts back for this? <laughs> and she just looked at me like. Bless, bless your heart.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I so. would I would venture to say the markers keep coming no matter how far you go into a career because I feel like bike riders is another one. Yeah. Um, I think it's the biggest budget you've worked with on on a film, and it's By certain, far, right? Yeah, I was surprised to see that Midnight Special was not actually. Midnight Special had been the biggest, but yeah. um, this is like double that, like that thing. Something. Not not quite, oh, okay. but close. You know, we
1: yeah. we um, you know, we wanted it to be closer to the Midnight Special budget, but. Yeah through lots of different things you know um it kind of kept creeping up and luckily new regency our studio stuck with us you know because
0: they could have just at some point been like "Eh." right (laughs) you know well i would imagine as they started to see this come together and see the script and then to see i mean we could just talk about this cast and i do want to talk about this cast because it must have felt insane to be on set you've worked with amazing casts over your career but to look around lucky to see who you've assembled—some familiar faces, many new faces to you. Um, was that always the intention? Just to like—I mean, you obviously always want to cast the shit out of a movie. <laughs> no, no kidding. But like, sure. what was the intent? What was like kind of the mission statement of how you wanted to cast? But this? also,
1: you know, like, like there've been a lot of these movies lately, and it can sometimes backfire on you. You know, to have like every role it is takes you out. F- of it yeah, bit. it does. Right. Yeah. And and so, so honestly, that was kind of in the in the back of my my head a little bit. But um, I've been very fortunate that. Actors seem to, to to want to work with yeah. me and um, and so I get to, I get to you know communicate with them and, and, and figure it out. I'd been thinking about this movie for so long and you know had been collecting these wonderful guys to work with. I was like, well, I'm making a motorcycle gang movie like I'll get to cast all you guys. And then it took so long to make. A lot of the younger guys in the club. I had to go find new guys.
0: <laughs> um, right? It was like, was Mike ever going to do a different role like in this? No, one? Mike was always going to be Zipco because okay. I had I had you know heard um, the great our, our, my spirit animal Michael Shannon. Michael, Michael Shannon, Love who's been in lives. Yeah. all six
1: of my films, luckily, and um, and you know I'd heard some original audio recordings of this man Zipco who was chronicled in the in the book of photography, and he sounded just like Mike because if you if you get the chance, Mike is a bit of a chameleon with his voice, but if you hear him speaking in his Chicago accent, because he grew up there, um, partially, uh, it it sounded just like this guy. Right. And so that was kind of lock, locked in for me. Um, but I really wanted to work with Shea Wiggum again, who I haven't had a chance to work oh, with she. since Take Shelter. He was working on Mission Impossible, you know, so inevitably things, yeah. things happen. But then, yeah, for some of the younger guys, I remember I would met Boyd Holbrook, um, gosh, almost a decade earlier when we were casting Midnight Special. And I talked to him about a role in that. And then he couldn't do it. He got, a, he got another, another opportunity and, um, and couldn't do that. But we'd kind of stayed in touch, you know, and, and we knew of one another. And then he had had this, this great rise in his career. But Boyd came back around. But then there are these faces um, that I didn't know, you know, like Damon Harriman. He's amazing at it. He's um, fantastic. Yeah who just I just fell in love with, you know, um, and, you know, it's kind of like the right hand man for Tom Hardy's character. Absolutely. And he, and and has the the very interesting honor of playing Charles Manson twice, yes, uh, <laughs> which reflects none of his personalities. He's the, he's the kindest human being. But then Bo Knapp, Carl Glusman, Emory Cohen. Uh, and then, you know, you've got Toby Wallace, who, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of plays our, our villain. But right. my producing partner, Brian Kavanaugh Jones, uh, was like, you got to watch this movie, Baby Teeth. Have you seen Baby Teeth? I haven't seen it, actually. Man, okay, now go, I'm watch go, back. It, okay. go watch it tonight. Okay. It's an Australian film with Ben Middleton in it. I, I, it brought me to tears. Really? And Toby is magnetic in it. He's magnetic. Um, and so I, I saw it. You know, I kind of, you know, we sought him out. That, um, that
0: character, right? when I was watching him, like... I don't know, Are you a De Palma fan Like Carlito's Way had a, Sure Had a little bit of like That kind of Oh 100% uh, Benny Blanco That's, Yeah kind of Benny out Blanco's of coming <laughs> back for you Right Yeah don't
1: insult <laughs> Benny Blanco That's the wrong one <laughs> Benny Blanco from the Bronx Yeah <laughs> yeah Like um, Yeah 100% You know but But he's got this He's got something very interesting I think Toby's gonna have An amazing career Yeah And I'm excited to be a part of it
0: Before we get to, like, kind of like then, obviously, the, the bigger names that folks will be familiar with, you mentioned this has gone way back. And this is inspired, for those that don't know, by photography, primarily. I yeah. mean, um, so, so was this fully formed in your head for 15 years? Like, how, how did this kind of, like, turn into what it became?
1: Not at all fully formed. In fact, I was terrified of it probably for a decade. Yeah. But I found the book in 2003, so we can, we can officially call it 20 years. Wow. Um, it was sitting on the floor of my brother's apartment in Memphis. My brother Ben's in a band called Lucero. He's the oldest of the three brothers in my family, and he's just always been the cool one, always playing the coolest music, listening to the coolest music, reading the coolest books. And I walked into his room, and there's this beautiful cover. It's, um, it was actually a, a 2003 reissue of the book, which I didn't know at the time, and. There's a big red, bold, bright red stripe at the bottom with with white lettering, the bike riders knocked out in kind of Helvetica, real simple font. And on the top is this beautiful black and white photograph of these four motorcycle riders kind of cresting a hill on a r- rural highway. And um, I just, I was in, honestly, from the cover. Uh, but you start looking at these photographs and, you know, Danny has a way of uh, embedding himself in a subculture and And so he gets these really personal photographs from people. But what I found really interesting was the text in the book, which there's not a lot of it, uh, were transcribed interviews. And they really just read like monologues. Rarely do you have Danny's voice coming in even to have a question because he found these people that loved to talk. And Danny was very, very good at what he did and was able to ingratiate himself to the point to where they would just open up. And you have a woman like Kathy who just off the page she, she's compelling, you know? I mean, she's both manic and insightful and dangerous, and sometimes you can't believe she's saying, what she's saying, and, um, but, it's, but it's all honest. Right. And when you combine those words with the photos, it's like this complete picture of a subculture. Right. One of the most honest portrayals of kind of working class people. Um, that I had ever encountered, and and that's what got me.
0: And it does. Feel, I mean, I, I'm sure you've heard people mention this. I don't know if it came up in the, in the in the crafting of the story or production, but Goodfellas has been cited, and it kind of and I and I can see it because it's like it, it's a seductive subculture kind of world, a, a dangerous world that you are drawn into right from the get go in the audience. And so you kind of have this really fascinating vantage point through Kathy, primarily, kind of our narrator. But yeah, you have you have this kind of I can see from a filmmaking standpoint, like yes, you have this amazing, the visuals of this gang, this, this, the, it's, it's, it's mana from heaven to kind of like, you know, have 25 motorcycles and outfit these guys up to wazoo. But then you have these really interesting themes about, and I heard you talk about this a little the other day, like it's a really movie about finding your place. Like we're all looking for like a, a group to feel like you belong, to find your 100%. identity. Um, and did that resonate from, with you from the start as like what that's kind of like the key theme you're playing with here?
1: Yeah. Well, let me split this in two, and I'm going to go back to Scorsese for a second and Goodfellas, because it's in my DNA. My junior year of college, my roommate had a DVD player, but we only had two DVDs. One was Fletch, which (laughs) stands as one of my favorite films of all time, and the other was Goodfellas. So you were either in a Fletch mood or a Goodfellas mood, and I've just always marveled at the structure of that film, Um, because... If anyone were to ask like, what's the plot of Goodfellas? You know, you'd be like, ah, some guys that, right. you know, pulled off the Lufthansa heist. Right. And that would in no way right. <laughs> <laughs> tell you what that movie's about. Right. And that first hour of that film, I think, is probably one of the greatest narrative constructs in terms of storytelling that I've ever seen. Yeah. Certainly in terms of, of um, building a, a very specific subculture, you know, um, clothes, Voices, food, sound, behavior, thinking—like all of these things—and so that was that was on my mind. If you're going to pick a model, that is the best.
0: Yeah, I mean, Um, the the opening line of your movie could have well as uh, might as well have been like, "For as long as I've been alive, I've wanted to be in the Vandals." (laughs) It could have been Benny saying that. uh, uh,
1: A hundred (laughs) percent, and and I'm and I'm fully willing to stand in front of the firing squad and say like, "This is a Shaggy Dog version." Like, doesn't bother me whatsoever. I was, um, I've. I've been lucky enough um to be introduced to Scorsese and have a couple of conversations with him and and I haven't spoken to him about this film yet and I haven't shown it to him. I'm I'm real curious if he just turns around and is like, "Huh. <laughs> you've been paying attention." Um but anyway, so set set that aside yeah. for a second. But, but but the thing I want people to notice cuz I think it's it's a little surface just to say like, "Oh, there's a freeze frame and some voiceover and it's Scorsese with a music hit." Cuz that's not it. Um that's not only it. That that's obviously part of it, but it's it's the narrative structure of that first hour. Yeah. If you really, if you really care, and you really want to think about it, go think about that, um, because that's where I broke my back <laughs> trying, trying to, to craft a narrative that was both conventional and unconventional. Yeah. Um, that felt, that could flow easily from scene to scene. You watch that first hour of Goodfellas, and it just flies by. Right. Like there's no, there's no break. Yeah. But, but also, there's no. Real plot. You're just, you, you know... Uh, well, you're
0: being it, seduced into that world. Like hundred percent. Ca- and that's and, what still happening too. yeah. It's
1: very important to us. Yeah. So, so we'll set that aside for a second, and not talk the entire time about that. Um, because you were talking about identity. You were talking yeah. about... Feeling like you belong to a Feeling agreement. like yeah. you belong. I mean, you know, I think right now, more than ever in my lifetime, like, we are so desperate for identity. Like, it's a, it, it is a animating force in our lives right now and you know it feels more important to people whether it's through sex race religion heritage you know we're trying to dig deep partly because we're getting further and further disconnected as a society everybody talks about that i don't need to go into that but because we are a social species we we gravitate toward groups And in this search for identity, the group that we choose oftentimes, you know, is what grants us that identity. And the more unique the group is, the more unique the identity is. And that's the case here. This was this very seductive, dangerous um, group. And, you know, a lot of times by joining that group, that can be a very positive force in your life, or it can be a very negative one. And the bike riders is a bit of both. Oh, totally. And when thinking about that and looking at kind of this cycle, I was struck by this thing that I think happens a lot in society, which is people don't feel like they belong in the mainstream, so they're pushed to the outside or they move to the outside. And that's where the most interesting things are always created. Um, and But because they're so interesting, it then draws the attention of the mainstream. And that was certainly hap- happening to biker culture in the 60s. Um, to the point to where it started to become an affectation of itself. Right. It's a cycle that I very much saw in the mid-90s in Little Rock, Arkansas. Believe it or not, Little Rock, Arkansas had a, had a really great homegrown punk rock scene. I was too preppy and too stupid. I played drums in a couple of you know, bands, but my brother kind of got me in um, to, to the cool kids table. And, um, but I got to witness it. And as soon as you start to try to define this thing, because uh, it starts as a feeling it's just a it's just a vibe and and kind of a desire to dress a certain way and 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 listen to a certain type of music or behave a certain type of way. but then you start putting rules on it then then inevitably that starts to come and that's it's undoing right And those rules end up becoming the thing that 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 destroy it. And I saw that pattern in the 90s and, and I saw it when I started looking at the bike riders and I remember, I went through this very long speech that I've just given you to the first time I met Danny Lyon. And he paused and he goes, hmm, so you don't want to make a movie about
0: a photographer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's in there. It's just not his story. <laughs> Another time, Danny. <laughs> we wouldn't have it without you. Yeah, Danny Lyon's a brilliant, brilliant
1: man. and I'm,
0: Mike I'm, Feist, I, fantastic. I feel very
1: lucky to, to, to have gotten to know him. And Mike Feist did us a, a massive silent by, by showing up. And, and really playing an observer, you yeah. know, in, in this film, which is a, you know, because uh, Mike Mike is an incredible actor,
0: yeah. and for him to come, be quiet, and listen, it, it was so valuable to me. So. Um, okay, so back to some of these actors, because um, we've we've left some of my favorites on the table. Um, Jodie Comer's already getting justifiable raves for this. Um, she We know she's a transformative a- a- actor, um, but what she does in this is pretty remarkable do you remember seeing what she was doing like was there like a a back and forth or was that fully formed her accent everything from day one on the set
1: you know it's easy to listen to filmmakers talk about their actors and hyperbole creeps in pretty often um she's one of the best actors i've ever worked with and i've worked with some of the best actors (laughs) in the world uh i just have we're just gonna you know like let's throw humbleness out that window like um, I didn't really know her work very well I'd seen The Last Duel because I wanted to see anything that Adam Driver's in who's a friend right? and, um, and she was great but pretty subdued in that role yeah. um, and it wasn't until Francine Mazler, my casting director was like you gotta talk to Jodie you gotta talk to Jodie um, that I went and watched the first two seasons of Killing Eve and was like okay huh okay there's, there's a lot going on there. Cause that's kind of a, you know, it's a, big, there's a big range, yep. you know, happening there. <laughs> yep. And so then I zoomed with her and she said, yes, cause I kind of went into that zoom with Francine in my ear going like, you, you just have to get her, you have to get her, you know, and at that point, I'm like, all right, let's, let's roll the dice. Let's go. Um, fortunately for me, she said yes, but you never really know cause you haven't worked with somebody and right. there's not a ton of work, you know? Right. Um, to base your, your opinion off of. And I was lucky enough to be on the jury for can two years ago. And I was flying back through London and I was actually stopping off to, to meet Tom Hardy in person for the first time. Um, and talk about possibly him playing Johnny. And that was a wild meeting because he's the most intense person I've ever (laughs) met in my life. So we can talk about that in a second. But I came out of that meeting, it was like three or four hours and I was a bit punch drunk to be honest But that night I had a ticket to uh, Jody's play Prima Fasci on the West End. And I went to see this hour and 45 minute one woman show. (laughs) No one else is on stage. And I walked out of that theater and I was like, I'm the luckiest director in the world. And I felt from that moment on that I just had this, you know, this ace up my sleeve. And you're like, just wait till Jody gets here. Just like, wait till Jody gets here and she's such a hard worker, you know, um, we, we got all of the original, um, audio recordings that Danny made. Um, and I actually had some of them when I was writing the screenplay. So I'd heard these voices and I'd heard this woman, Kathy's voice, which is phenomenal. And anybody that thinks like, it's not accurate, like just wait, we're going to release some of it. Like it is so spot on what she has done. Um, And one day she left set and she left some of her work behind. And I noticed, because she has so many lines in this film, she had phonetically broken down every word that she says. And it's one thing to do that work, but then it's another to make it disappear and become invisible. And we just sat there. I mean, I talked to Mike Feist about it, like who grew up in Ohio. And after one take, he pulled me aside and he was like, I just felt like I was in my aunt's kitchen in Columbus, Ohio, yeah, totally. you know, like watching her smoke cigarettes and talk. It, it just, you know, we were just kind of mouth agape. So, you know, yep, Jody's badass. Jody is, um, <laughs> Jody's the, the the real deal. And then you, you know, you combine that with
0: Austin Butler, which. So where was he at then? Had Elvis already, had you seen Elvis? Did you know like how did Elvis you know? Elvis wasn't
1: out yet when I met him for the first time. Um, again, my producing partner, Brian Kavanaugh Jones, had said, um, I, I guess the script had started to circulate a little bit, mm-hmm. and his agent called and I think he had read it and was really into it. And uh, they were like, You gotta meet gotta meet Austin. And I will say I had a bit of a cheat sheet because the the trailer for Elvis had come out. Right. So I just saw these snippets enough to be like, oh, that guy's doing some work. Yeah. like there's some stuff happening, you know, like when he's got the the overweight makeup on And he's like You know Trembling on the floor And sweating So I met him out in LA I'm not out there very much But um, But we met at a restaurant And, and I met him out front And he walked up And he held his hand out And I just immediately was like
0: He's got it yeah. This is the guy Yeah He's soft spoken Intense Like he's like dedicated He's just everything. And he's
1: beautiful And like yeah, And your often camera loves
0: I, him. You, you, you shoot him like a movie star Like, like He's a movie stuff.
1: star He's a movie star In the best sense Yeah And, um, and because sometimes I think people use that as a, a, almost as a slight, and this is no, 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 this is, this guy, um, lights, lights up the rooms that he's in. And I've, I've been around a lot of famous people at this point and it's, he's got it. He's got it. And, uh, and I needed this character. I needed people to understand why the, why Jody's character and Tom's character would invest so much in him would want so much out yeah. of him. Which, of course, that's the tragedy because his character's incapable of holding what right. those people need from him. But you never question, I think, in the film why they're so drawn to him, you know? Physically, yes, but even more than that. Right. Like, you wanna, you wanna be around this person. And, and I felt it from the first second
0: I shook his hand. So, most intimidating moment with Tom Hardy. He inti- I mean, I, I, I feel the same way from my end. Like, this guy, you don't know what you're gonna get. He's just so... He's unique. There's no one like him. Well, the truth is now with hindsight, like he's a
1: sweetheart. Right. And, um, and I consider him a friend, you know, uh, which I'm very proud of. And because it felt like I, I
0: worked at that, you know. Right. It feels like he doesn't give his trust easily. But once you're in, you're in probably. I, I hope so. Right.
1: I do feel like, and I don't think I'm at this level, but he strikes me as the type of person that if you were his friend, and you called him and you needed help, he would get on a plane and literally come that second. Right. He strikes me as that type of person, right. he's a very passionate person. So I went to his home and uh, he was just so intense, he was just rapid fire, all these questions and I was jet lagged, I'd just gotten done with the Cannes Film Festival and, and I was trying my best and I got a few, you know, uh, I, I felt like I held my own and I made a few comments that, that landed with him, You know, some questions that he had. Uh, Cause he was he was right. He was like, "Can I play Kathy?" Um, because because <laughs> Kathy's character is is really fully realized yeah, and yeah. on the page. And Johnny's character was a bit more amorphous. Like it it took it was more like honestly the characters I typically write, where it's going to take someone to show up, right. um, because I I leave so much you know unspoken, very much on purpose. It's my style of of writing and storytelling. And and he and he was. I think questioning it, especially because he's looking on the page and seeing Kathy, and he's like, I don't see Johnny quite as clearly. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's why I'm here talking to you. Right. And, um, and luckily, I, I didn't embarrass myself in that meeting, and, and, um, but I swear it was like taking an AP exam or something. Like I just felt I had to be totally on my toes. He's very, very hyper-intelligent, very intense. And then, and then we start working together on set, you know, and it's... Um, it's funny you, you have some actors that if you let them if you gave them extra tech, takes all day they would take them you right. know Tom it's like three takes you know um, and and because he kind of shows up and he's like this is what I'm this is what I'm doing and and um, but but it was beautiful to watch I mean and it kind of goes back to the thing we were saying about Austin there's just some people that when they're on camera you can't take your eyes off of them. Right. And it's almost like there's a nearly imperceptible vibration coming out of Tom Hardy's skin. Like he literally vibrates. Yep. And so then when you cast him in a character that's holding all of that in, I mean so much of this film is, is about the inability of, of men to enunciate themselves. His character specifically, there's a scene after one of his friends dies and he's trying, you can tell like he's struggling, he's drunk and he's trying to get somewhere and he, and he just can't, like, he can't close the loop, you know? And there's a conversation later that he has with Kathy, and it's very similar. And, and Jody just gives this killer look where she kind of, like, <laughs> smiles and nods her head, like, I, because she keeps asking him, like, what do you need? And he can't. He, and she, she it's like she just realizes, like, you're not going to get there. Right. You're just not going to get there. DNA, it's, sorry, not, yeah. it's not in your DNA. It's not going to get there. And who better for that than, than Tom, you know?
0: Taking a step back kind of on the macro view of, of the career, so we're six movies in and it's it's a very diverse resume you've crafted and I've, and I've followed it very closely through the years and I love it all, but I also have like know that you, well, you know, you talked about your reference points, they're very similar to mine and I know you, I think you were a comic book fan growing up and there was mm-hmm. talk of Aquaman very briefly at one point briefly. and there was talk of Alienation I remember you were developing at one Absolutely. point. And like, you know, I'm of a split mind. I'm like, I'll let Jeff do his thing. I don't want him to do his original stuff. But I also, you know, am intrigued because I know you're a fan and I know you got the chops. Like, what's your attitude right now about getting into, you know, to reduce it to IP, to to work in that realm?
1: Um, It really doesn't interest me that much. Uh, You know... On the Alien Nation front, like, that was a heartbreaker. That's one of the reasons it's taken me so long to make another film. I spent, like, four years on that. Yeah. And we were at the one-yard line. I had it cast. We were ready to go. But the universe didn't want me to make that right then. And it's kind of interesting because that was an, an original story I'd crafted, and they wanted to put the Alien Nation title oh, on really? it. Oh, and, really? Um, and fortunately now that script um, without the title has gone over to Paramount. And, um, oh, is that the one that's being talked that you're still after, working on? Yeah, like after the strike, you know, lifts, I can get back to work on it. And um, and it's you know, it's kind of amazing working on something for so long because I built this entire, you know, alien species and all these other things. And um, but it also takes place in Arkansas, and it it actually feels like one of my films. Right. But it might cost a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, so it might be the worst experience of my life I don't know but um but I'd love to make that film but it's just like all these things like everybody thinks that I guess the palette's so diverse which is flattering
0: but they all feel like mine No of course yeah and um I and, guess if you reduce it down to genre if you're like oh wait this is
1: Yeah and I love bouncing around genre right. I think genre is the is the capsule that the that the medicine goes in yeah. you know and and um and it's what we, it's why we enjoy movies, you know? Like I, not to get too heady about it, but I feel like over the last five years we've devalued movies um, through streaming and other things like um, the experience of, of of having to wait for a film and and really just wanting to go see a film, whether it's genre or not. But most of the time when we were growing up, we're about the same age, I assume, like they those were genre films and, yeah. and and so I have no... I have a desire to, to make a film like that, you know? Um, and
0: that's what that film could be. Um, Do you have to start over with casting?
1: Yeah, we'll probably start over with yeah. casting. Um, but maybe not. We'll see. Um, well, I mean, Mike's in it.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, uh, spoiler,
1: Michael <laughs> Shannon will be in the film. <laughs> Until he finally, like, gets smart and is like, get rid of this guy. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, you know, but I, I dabbled. I dabbled with... Uh, you know, John Krasinski called me about maybe doing right. a, a Quiet Place prequel, which, you know, luckily that didn't work. It just wasn't a, the right fit, you know. And, did you um, did
0: you did you sense that in your bones as you were working on it? Are you still like a, a writer on that? Did you? Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, they they, your, your they took it over, and and I'm sure they did something really special
1: with it. Yeah. Because uh, that Michael Sarnowski took it over, and that guy's right. I think a really great oh, filmmaker. Pig. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And so you know they'll do something great. Right. But yeah, like stuff like that wasn't the right fit. Um, and the you know, the power that you have, the only power that you have as a filmmaker is your ability to sense those things and say, yeah, I'm just going to step back.
0: Right. I'm going to step back from this. And, and hopefully the universe is watching out for you. Yeah, I just imagine the alternate reality when like, you know, eight years ago, you stuck with Aquaman and Jeff Nichols is making Aquaman 3 <laughs> now.
1: <laughs> I still have some scenes from that in my head that would have been good. <laughs> they would have been quite different from the film that was made. What was your pitch? <laughs>
0: what was your idea for Aquaman?
1: Well, it wasn't, it wasn't ever feasible, you know, but, um, but I, liked, I liked the older Aquaman, like when he had a harpoon for a hand, <laughs> like because he was a fallen king and his son had died. He was in mourning. Obviously just from this brief pitch, you can see <laughs> it would have sold hundreds of dollars worth of tickets. And Michael Shannon is Aquaman. <laughs> Are you no, guys in? No, no. But, but you know, anyway. Um, no, those, <laughs> that stuff's just kind of fun to noodle on. But, you know, and nobody needs to beat this horse. But, like, um, you know, we got a lot of those movies now. Right. And so, um, so there are a lot of stories in the world. And, and it's okay. Spend some time telling some other ones.
0: The last movie you were inspired by? Have you seen anything here besides your own work? Or have you... I just saw Daddy-O last night. Oh, yeah. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was wonderful. Um, Good to see I'm Sean actually, Penn with a nice meaty role again. Man, right? I love
1: Sean Penn so much. I want to work with that guy so bad. <laughs> I wanted him, in, 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 you know, in bike riders. It had crossed, <sighs> crossed my mind, yeah. you know, but we got engaged with Tom. Right. Um, so I never even, you know, had the opportunity um, because Tom kind of was, was first up for us in that role. But, but you know, Indian runner yep, at close range. Um, these films, uh, were real formative for me and yeah, the idea of working with Sean Penn, um, that's on the bucket list, you know, but, um, but, and so I loved watching him in that film. I'm doing a Q and a later. They asked me to host a Q and a for anatomy of a fall. So they sent me a link early in the week. I'm going to go back and see it properly in the theater today. Um, I mean, that's pretty, pretty spellbinding. And, um, uh, and I hope to see Wildcat tomorrow morning. Yep. Ethan's film about Flannery O'Connor. I'm just obsessed with Flannery O'Connor, um, and and it's so funny every time Ethan Hawke makes something, I'm like, that's exactly what I'm interested in. Yeah, I can see you know, you guys being like I'm obsessed with Paul Newman. Yep. I'm, yep. I'm obsessed with Blaze Foley. <laughs> like, what else? What else am I interested in, Ethan? Tell me what's next. <laughs> what exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, uh, you know. We'll see. I mean, I don't. It's it's a little frustrating because I, I you know you don't do Q and A's after every film. You just do right. intros, and since they cross program, I like I can't go see Poor Things tonight. Right. I really want to see Pablo R- Lorraine's film. Pablo or, and I kind of became Condé, friends right, yeah. on the awards circuit with Loving, and um, and that film just looks. Out there. haunting yeah. and magical <laughs> and that guy's so freaking talented and smart yeah. so but you can you could
0: you could throw a rock and hit a talented filmmaker in this town yeah it's easy to be inspired in a place like Telluride and I'm glad it, it gave us a chance to rendezvous in a weird yoga studio <laughs> on um, Main Street um, yeah. if you couldn't tell I'm a longtime fan I'm happy you were able to do the podcast you've brought so many great films into the world you've brought so many actors you brought me Jessica Chastain and Mike back when I met They're them the on Take Shelter uh, keep doing what you're doing we don't need you for Aquaman. We need you doing your own thing. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Uh, and I'm glad we, we're giving everybody like a sneak peek at Bike Riders. Um, this one is, is really special, and uh, I hope you're feeling good. And I would imagine there's a, like an exhale after a moment like this. And it's so a big finally, exhale,
1: but yeah. I'm pretty darn excited, you know. I just want people to see it. I'm real proud of it. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I had a feeling when I picked that book up, and I tried to make a movie that gave people that feeling. And so that's what I'm hoping for. It's great stuff, man. Thanks again for this. All right. Thanks, man.
0: And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh.